I am doing the recording on 3.20.21. We're going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul was 40 years old when he began to rule. Now remember that he was picked as a handsome man that was very tall. But he was 40 years when he became the ruler. When he was young, he was picked, but then he had to fight the Philistines. He ruled over 32 years. So at the 40 to the 32, and you'll get to the age of his death, he was way out there. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. There were 2,000 of them with Saul in Mishmash and in the hill country of Bethel. Now, when I study the Bible, I, I try to concentrate as much as possible. When I do my animation, I do all kinds of things to multitask. When I'm working in something that I really consider important, I always give it my whole attention. Uh, but the average span of a human being is 75 years old. Most likely, Saul would have been about 80 when he would die, but he, he actually committed suicide. He had 3,000 operators with him. Um, in those days, there were no radios like we have today. There was no air power. There was nothing of convenience like we have today. In World War II, they used to set up chatter boxes. It's basically, it was a cable with a box, almost like a telephone, that they would put the cable and they would roll a bunch of cable to the other side of the bunker here. And that's how they would communicate. They used pigeons too, but in this case, he had three, uh, 2,000 men, 3,000 with him, 2,000 with Saul, and 1,000 with his son. It says, And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent, Jonathan destroyed the place where the Philistine soldiers were in Giva, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul sounded the horn through all that land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the place where the Philistine soldiers were, and they heard that Israel had become a hated thing to the Philistines. Then the people were called out to join Saul in Gilgal. Um, the Philistines gathered to fight against Israel with 3,000, I mean 30,000 war wagons. Now you will notice that Saul always takes the credit of his son. His son is this very naive, mostly unconcerned about glory. And Saul is very much so concentrating and being the, you know, the man. But Jonathan wasn't like that. He was like, okay, let him be the man. Even he offered David a pact where he was going to be second in command, even though he was the prince. So the Philistines gathered to fight Israel with 3,000 war wagons, 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sand of the seashore. Now they hire a bunch of people. Imagine 3,000 guys against 30,000. I mean, if you do the math, if you divide um, the 2,000 divided by 30,000, only on the um, chariots, you get about 60%. So the, their force was 60% much higher than Israel. 
Uh, so they were number one, two, three, I think, because um, oh, one, one, two, one, two, two, or half is point five. So close to that. So six thousand horsemen. So they had a cavalry and they had tanks. A war uh, wagon was considered a tank. And people like the sand of the seashore, they came and set up their tent of Mishmash, east of Beth Avon. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble. The people were in, in place of danger. So the people hid themselves in caves, bushes, hillsides, graves, and wells. Some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan to the land of God and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And other people followed him in fear. When the people saw all these armies, they just hid. Because in those days, they would just take over your house and just kill you. So they would hid. So waited seven days, the time set by Saul, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people leave, uh, were leaving him, so Saul said, Bring me the burnt gift and the peace gifts. And he gave the burnt gift to the Lord. As soon as he finished giving the burnt gift, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him and said, Hello. But Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, I saw the people were leaving me. You did not come when you say, you would, and the Philistines were gathering in Mishmash, so I laid. So I said, Now the Philistines will come down upon me and Gilgal, and I have not asked for the Lord's favor. So I made myself give the, uh, the burnt gift. Now, what does this mean? Imagine that all of a sudden you are in church, and you call the pastor and says, Pastor, I need you to preach at my service, a wedding. But you say, man, the preacher is taking a long time, then what you do is you start preaching. Oh no, let's put it like this. Let's say that you are about to get operated maybe, or you're running the train or something, and then the conductor doesn't get there, and you just take over the helm and just ride the train. That's, that's how offensive it was to God, because he was a politician, he was a leader, not a religious priest. Nowadays, it's sacrilegious to even wear a priest gown uh, in the Catholic Church. In our church, it's sacrilegious to smoke in front of the congregation, which some preachers do. Uh, it's sacrilegious for a preacher to go and be in bathing suit with a speedo, I would think. I have never heard of a preacher on a speedo or a preacher's lady on a thong. I think that would be a no-no, would be sacrilegious because we are the body of Christ. But I don't want to be judgmental, I'm just saying. It would be sacrilegious for a preacher to be at a strip club. I mean, it would be even sinful. You might say, well, he's just preaching, but it's just not right. Samuel said to Saul, you have done a foolish act. You have kept the law that the Lord your God gave you. For now the Lord would have made you rule over Israel, over Israel last forever. But now your rule will not last. The Lord has found a man who is pleasing to him every way. He has chosen him to rule over his people because you have not obeyed the Lord. Then Samuel got up and went to Gilgal to Gibeah and Benjamin. So number the people that were left with him, about 600 million. So this is how traumatic it was. Everybody was jumping out of the boat. Three thousand men. Now, if you divide six, if you divide um, six hundred 
divided by 3,000, you would find out that he was left with only 20% of his forces. And bad times is when you know those who really will stick with you. It's 600 men against 30,000 war chariots. Um, so the odds of that is very incredible. Um, so that would be almost like 0.2% force against 98% force only on chariots. What are the odds that these Israelis are going to win? Not only that, but check this out. So and his sons, Jonathan, and the people with him stayed in Giva at Benjamin, while the Philistines stayed at the Mishmash. Soldiers came from the tent of the Philistines in three groups. Three groups. One group turned towards Ophrah to the land of Shul. Another group turned uh, towards Betoron, and another group turned towards the side of the country that looks over the valley of Zevo towards the desert. So basically they are hitting the six, the back, the the nine, the three, and the twelve. They want to like really push them into the ocean. Um, there, It's a ba basically a military strategy. Maybe a military guy can explain to us why are they doing that. Now, when Israel was fighting in the Six-Day War, the troops, the general, had two battalions sandwiching them together. So he had read Napoleon's war strategies and he decided to fight him in between. Why? Because the other side, the sandwich, couldn't shoot. They would have to shoot the middle, the middle, which was Israel, but then shoot themselves. So I don't know, uh, maybe an infantry guy can explain to us what exactly are they doing here as they're marching in three groups. I know that they're surrounding him, but I don't know why. I'm not a uh, soldier person. Now, there was no one to be found in all the land of Israel who made things of iron. For the Philistines said, the Hebrews must might make swords of spears. So each one of the Israelis went down to the Philistines to get his plow, his pick, his axe, or grain cutter sharpener. He had to pay two-thirds part of a piece of silver to have the plows and pick, and pick uh, sharp um, picks sharpen and one third part of piece of silver to have the axes and great uh, cutters sharpen. So on the day of the battle, there was no sword or spears in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and his son Jonathan had them. And the Philistine soldiers went out to pass a mishmash. So think about it 30,000 people against 600, and they only two of them have swords. Everybody goes out there and gets their pick. It kind of reminds me of the 13 colonies against the empire of its day in the Redcoats. Um, only God could have saved them on this one. I mean, it was a battle that was going to cremate them, <laughs> cream them, and everything else. But you see how we criticize Saul and we say, man, he was a foolish man. But what, what would you feel if you were in a company where everybody's turning their back on you. You have struggled to become on the top and everybody's jumping ship and you only have 600. And then the more you see through the window, there's 30,000 tanks and 6,000 or whatever horsemen, cavalry, ready to pounce you. And you're waiting for this old guy who's going to come and just do the cross or, and then, you know, GV Java Java and big kahunas and... Uh, 
kumba and sing kumbaya and you're saying man what what's the problem here i should just say something so the 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 battle can at least be two percent against 98 <laughs> they were dead in the water well i was reading the bible the other time and it says the bible has this expression many times that the multitude coming against Israel was like the sand of the ocean. And Israel with this little flock of sheep. Man, they hate the Jew, man. And don't think that this has not happened again. They hate them so much. It's one of those um, things that people really don't understand. But... Um, they hate the Jew man really much. Now, we got to pray that God gives us the, the momentum to change things in our society. I know that as um, things get better, especially in the economy after COVID, we must pray that God give give Israel some protection in the church. We, the church, you say there is no swords, we have too many weapons. But in the case of Bibles, our Chinese friends don't have Bibles. When I was a missionary, I used to travel from town to town and sometimes I would get so wet, my Bibles would disintegrate. And I would have to put them in like three plastic bags because I care more about my Bible than my body sometimes. And Bibles were the one thing that I really wanted, but sometimes I couldn't afford them. Believe it or not, in Mexico, a Bible could be up to a thousand pesos, which in dollars is nothing. Um, 200 pesos is like nine dollars. So I myself found Bibles were the critical thing. Now imagine a place like this radical countries like North Korea where Bibles don't get in if you take a bible it's like 10 years penalty why because the enemy wanted to take away the sharpness of the sword so now get this battle now as some of the um master a troop of soldiers and count and this could be just a game and i would say guys there's only 600 of us we have all the geography and the bible and you can and you can say to especially to your to our operators, how would you guys defend against thirty thousand chariots, six thousand horsemen plus a big infantry? How would you guys start even defending something like that? And they will tell you that the chances of survival were none. I mean, you've seen the movie Three Hundred. This is three hundred times two, with no chariots and only with. Two rifles and everybody with a punchy stick. I mean, what would, how would you start defending it? And not only that, there's three companies of uh, infantry surrounding you. Wouldn't you panic? And you'll see on the next reading how God saved these people. And this is what's going to happen to Israel and to the church. God will save us because the art of overcoming the evil of Satan's schemes. Remember what Revelation says. That Satan was going to fall with 75% of the angels. And if you could count the angels. There's, it says in the Bible. Because Hebrew doesn't really have a word for billion. In biblical Hebrew or trillion. So it just says ten thousands of ten thousand 
so to the power of 10,000, many of them, a host, they say. So imagine what would it be like when that time comes where only God will save us because they hate us. The world hates the commandments of Jesus. The world hates the Bible. And that dragon, when he descends, he's in fury with the woman and the man-child. The man-child gets taken away, but the woman is left to defend herself. And they say, water spills from the ground and helps this woman. Uh, let us pray that God will help us. And let us pray if anybody knows any infantry techniques here. How would you defend with 600 men against all those troops? I would say we would be dead. <laughs> but Jesus Christ gives you the power and the ability to overcome those odds. They will say to you, you don't know how to read, you don't know how to write, you cannot write, you cannot read, you cannot animate, you cannot do nothing. Watch and see how God will deliver you and God will keep you safe. There is a song that I like in Spanish and, and it says, Como las águilas, como las águilas, sus alas levantarán. It means like eagles, they will, I mean, be lifted up and like eagles, their strength would be renewed. Pray, pray that God will renew our strength. I, I'm reminded of the tank commander who fights the whole morning in the in the six day war and he destroys like 20 tanks. He gets off the tank, he collapses to the ground and he says, it's not looking good, Mr. General, but he never gives up. So 600 against 30,000 with two rifles, two swords, and you would see that only God could have saved Saul and his people. And may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, and may his light shine upon you.